The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, this morning we're going to wrap up our series uh, through 2 Peter, and uh, just in the uh, for what it's worth category, uh, here in a couple weeks uh, we're going to a launch into the Sermon on the Mount, so uh, Matthew 5 through 7, uh, probably the most famous religious writing in history. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is very significant and a lot of wonderful wisdom and, and instruction, and so I'm looking forward to uh, diving into that uh, here in a couple weeks. But today we're going to finish up Second Peter, and so uh, as we've, uh, last couple weeks as I've been coming towards the end of the series, I've spent a little time uh, reflecting on it, thinking back on, on the series, and, and I guess uh, my biggest regret with this series is just the fact that it's been relatively disjointed. And what I mean by that is we've taken more breaks from Second Peter than a government worker could take. You know, we, we, we've, uh, uh, we started this series way back in early October when we were still outside the first time. So it was still 90 degrees, and that's a long time to be in a book of only three chapters. And uh, it's not just because I take my time, it's also because we've just, we've had lots of holidays and lots of other things come up uh, since early October, so I wish that we could have uh, kept a little more continuity through the book, but it is what it is, and so uh, hopefully you've, you've learned a few things from our study of Second Peter, and hopefully uh, the Lord has used it to encourage your heart, and uh, the study certainly uh, done my heart well, I've, I've really benefited from diving into this book. And, uh, you know, as I thought about, how, you know, how do you summarize this book? How do you think through its main message? You know, I'd say that this book has a lot to say about threats to our spiritual health, right? So Second Peter has talked a lot about, about doctrinal threats and about heresy and the consequences of wrong theology. It's also talked about the fleshly threats that arise from the sinful passions in my heart. It's not just out there that's a problem. My biggest spiritual problem is me. It's inside here. And Peter has shown us throughout the book, not just that these threats exist, but how to respond to them and how to thrive in the midst of them. So first of all, we've seen that if you're going to respond to spiritual threats, you've got to call them what they are. If you've got a malignant cancer, you can't pretend like it's no big deal. You've got to call it what it is if you're going to truly address it. And so Peter has called the problems among his readers what they are. He's been very blunt. But more importantly... Peter has taught us that the best defense against spiritual threats is a good offense. So just like, you know, the best way to protect your body from uh, viruses and infections and all sorts of other uh, health issues is, is to be healthy, to have good habits of life. And so in a similar manner, the best way to protect your spiritual health against spiritual cancer is a growing, healthy faith. Because if your faith is strong, And you're in a much better position to ward off every threat that would come against you. And verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 close out the letter by reaffirming that very basic truth. So it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall away from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory 
both now and forever. Amen. Those verses are built on two commands. We have there in verse 17 the command to beware. That would be defense. And verse 18, the command to grow, which would be offense. And then the passage, the book ends with a doxology at the end of verse 18 uh, that we need to do everything for the glory of Christ. So, so my outline is built on three challenges uh, based on those uh, obvious sections. So the first challenge is guard your heart. Guard your heart. So God commands us in verse 17 to beware. And the reason he tells us to beware is because we are surrounded by spiritual threats that are both deceptive and enticing. So, and hopefully you remember that, that the immediate context is there in verse 16. So, so last week uh, we saw in verse 16 that, that, that false teachers uh, were, were abusing Paul's letters. So, so in the middle of verse 16, uh, he says of, of Paul's letters, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So, so remember that we said last week that they were probably taking Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone. You know, taking his doctrine that, that we uh, are under grace, not under law, and, and they were twisting these things to mean that, that we can do whatever we want, that we don't have to submit to any sort of law at all, and, and that we don't need to be afraid of, of any sort of divine judgment. But of course, that's not what Paul taught, right? And Paul's very clear in his epistles that, that Jesus is coming again to judge, and that we need to live a holy life in preparation for that day. But, but good reading of the Scriptures in context never stopped a false doctrine from gaining steam. You know, the reality is, is that there's a reason why, why similar theologies, we call it antinomianism or lawless theologies, I mean, they just pop up like weeds throughout church history. Because we all are naturally drawn towards a theology that tells me I can do what I want without any consequence. Who doesn't like that? So verse 17 warns that this theology, this sort of theology, poses a major threat. So, so he warns, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the heir of the wicked. Now, now notice there the cause and effect relationship. The cause is, is that you are led away with the heir of the wicked, and the effect or the result is you fall from your own steadfastness. So, so let's talk about that idea, the last idea there of being led away with error. And, and the idea behind that verb, led away, is to be swept up in something, swept up in a movement. Now, maybe a few years ago, you remember uh, the video coming out of Japan when that tsunami hit the coast. And, and those videos were incredible to see these massive waves just come suddenly onto shore and, and just sweep away uh, cars, boats, houses, anything in their path. They were all swept away. Uh, but Satan uh, doesn't typically use that kind of sudden type of, of leading away or, or being swept away. No, no, instead, he generally works slowly. So slowly, in fact, oftentimes, that we don't even recognize that we're drifting. You know, for example, have you ever uh, been out in the ocean and you're playing in the water, you're just kind of relaxing, having a good time? You're playing, and all of a sudden you look up at the shore, and, and you're like 30, 40 yards down the shore from where you started. You didn't do anything. 
You're just having a good time. And, and the water is just so slowly pushing you that you don't even recognize what's taking place. And, and, and that's how spiritual destruction generally works. You know, it might be, you know, Satan doesn't blast us with, with some huge threat that we obviously recognize as a threat. No, no, instead, he works subtly. He, he causes a slow drift in our hearts that we hardly even recognize is taking place. And if you're not careful as a Christian to constantly let the Word of God reorient your focus and your anchor in your heart, then Satan will just slowly, step by step, lead you away from the truth and towards destruction. And, and, and when this drift takes place, and, and we've all seen it, I mean, we've all seen it take place to a, to a lesser extent in our own hearts, right? You know, that, that, that you get out of a good set of disciplines and your mind begins to wander from the truth, your heart begins to wander in a certain way, you, you begin to become callous towards certain ideas. And aren't you thankful for the Word of God or, or a sermon or a brother in Christ, you know, that comes, comes along and lovingly, you know, slaps you across the face and says, hey man, you're drifting, get back on course. And sadly, we've probably all watched someone, maybe we've had these experiences ourselves. We've watched someone drift dangerously from the truth of Scripture. They drift towards destruction. They refuse to listen to godly counsel. You know, they get to a place where, where something's just not right, and so brothers and sisters in Christ come to them and you go, buddy, like something's off. Well, what's going on? And instead of lovingly receiving that, they, they say, how dare you get in my business? Leave me alone. You, you stick to yourself. I'll stick to myself. There's never a good sign when you challenge someone, and that's how they respond. And, and Satan, folks, is a master manipulator. He is a master at slowly leading us away from truth. And, and when this drift continues too long, the effect or, or the result that comes about is that, that, that someone can fall from your own steadfastness. Now, now I do think it's interesting that he describes um, uh, the God's Word and the Gospel as, as steadfast, as, as a firm foundation that you can trust. I'm, I'm reminded here of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, uh, 24 and 25, where he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now, now what's interesting about those verses is that Jesus does not promise or, or even give hope of an easy life, right? When that house is battered by a torrential storm, because everyone's going to be battered by storms. Life in a sin-cursed world is going to be difficult. But God's sure word provides a secure foundation that can keep you safe no matter what may come. And so it is a privilege to stand on the word of God. To have your life anchored to the scriptures. But what Peter warns about here is that when someone is led away by error, what happens is the whole house begins to shift off that foundation. It begins to slide. And Peter warns that if it slides far enough, it's eventually going to fall off the foundation entirely. 
And it's important in thinking about that to recognize that the verb that's translated here, fall from, is consistently used in the New Testament of apostasy. So, so Peter here is not warning about some minor little slip, some, some little oops. No, he's saying that if you allow drift to continue long enough in your spiritual condition, that eventually you will fall off the foundation of the gospel. You will either deny or reject essential truths of the gospel or, or rebel against God's word and, and refuse to obey, submit to him. And of course, we saw in chapter 2 how that happened to the false teachers, right? So, so the false teachers, I mean, they had started out professing to be Christians. They said they were saved. They, they, made, they, they acted like they were believers. But they drifted from the truth. They denied essential doctrine. They, they gloried in, in ungodly living. And notice again the, the, the result that will come to them in chapter 2, verse 20. Peter says to the false teachers, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So, so Peter says their end is worse than had they never heard the gospel which has to be a reference to condemnation. Now, now, we said when we went through that passage that he's not teaching, of course, that they lost their salvation because no true believer will ever abandon Christ and, and lose their place in heaven. No, verse 22 tells us that, that they were never really saved and that what ultimately happened was that their true nature prevailed. But, but you, you take away the, the divine sovereignty and, and, and God's uh, work and, and all that, from a human perspective, the consequences of their choices are just startling. You know, I, no one, well, I want, to say, I want to say no one. The vast majority of people that walk away from Christ don't set out to do so at the beginning. They just begin to drift. A little bit here, a little bit there. And it ends in a terribly different spot that they intended to begin. So folks, this is serious stuff. And therefore, God commands all of us, from the most seasoned believer, saved for 50 years, to someone that just received Christ and is very weak in their faith, he says, beware. Watch yourself. You know, and if you sit there and think, I don't need a warning, Pastor. I, I would never abandon Christ. I, I would never do something stupid. You know, I would never commit some horrible, egregious sin. I'm good. Well, remember what 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says. It says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You should never take your spiritual health for granted. You should never assume that, that Satan could not deceive you and deceive you to tragic consequences. Now, every one of us needs to guard our hearts, guard our faith, you know, and I'd add this too, that, that you need to give your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to help you do so. Yeah, because sometimes you can begin to drift and, and you have no idea that you're drifting. You know, because you're just going through life and Satan has got you deceived and, and you see this thing in front of your eyes and you need a brother in Christ, sister in Christ to come along and say, what's going on? We need that. 
We need to do it for each other. So, so folks, we need to guard our hearts carefully and give others a freedom to, to watch our hearts with us. You know, I mean, strutting around a lion's den with your chest out is not courageous. It's stupid. And strutting around as a Christian, like nothing can happen to me, Satan can't touch me, that's not courageous. That's stupid. So watch your heart beware. And, and I want to add here in, in saying all this, that, that, you know, the point here is not to scare you in, into such a, you know, to living in, in terror. You know, really the point is, is that when we understand that the, the depravity of our hearts and the threats to our spiritual health, it, it ought to drive us to wise planning and, and to dependence on the grace of God. Now, I like this illustration from Tom Schreiner. He says, experienced mountain climbers ensure their safety by studying their climb taking necessary precautions, and knowing their climbing partners. Paying attention to warnings does not quench confidence, but is the means to it. You know, so if you're going to do a dangerous climb, right? We're not talking about, you know, a climbing wall on the playground. We're talking about a significant, dangerous mountain climb. I mean, these guys, you know, if they, if they understand the danger and they plan for the danger, they can go on that climb with confidence because they recognize the threat and they're ready for it. And, and we should do the same thing. You know, don't respond to this warning with despair. No, let it drive you to Christ. Because He is the sure foundation. I mean, Jesus said He is a rock that will not move, that will keep you through every storm. So no storm can overwhelm His strength. So stand on Him. Do not forget, as, as 1 John 4, 4 says, that He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he is always enough. So, so yes, we should be very weary of our flesh and, and very careful to guard our hearts and to guard the hearts of each other, but we also should be confident in the Spirit to keep his people. So, so as, as Peter wraps up this letter, he looks back on the tragic end of these false teachers and he pleads with us to beware lest the same thing happen to us. And so every time we see someone fall, you know, we look at this story in 2 Peter, and we see these things happen in our life today. I mean, I just this week found out about someone that, that he's not someone here that, that I had a significant relationship with, someone that by all accounts seemed to love the Lord and want to serve the Lord, and, and he's denied the faith, says he's not a Christian. And it's heartbreaking. You know, it... It causes you to lose sleep, causes us to grieve, and we should grieve over those things, and those things should drive us to pray, but, but you know, we also ought to see every, type, every, every time we hear or see something like that, it ought to be also, it also ought to serve as a grace to us, to remind me that but by the grace of God, that would be me. And so I need to watch myself very carefully. I better not tolerate little sins and think they don't matter. I need to stay close to Christ and beware. Because just because I'm a pastor, just because you've been saved for 60 years, just because you've never done anything bad in your life, does not mean that Satan can't grab you by the neck. So, so beware. So, so Peter tells us here to guard your heart. 
And then he turns to offense in verse 18 and says, grow your heart. So he says in, in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is such a wonderful challenge. This is a great verse on so many levels. And in context, Peter especially wants to say that the best defense against Satan's tactics is a growing faith. And we can understand that. You know, so if you're married and you're worried about threats to the health of your marriage, the best way to guard against threats to your, the health of your marriage is not to focus on all the threats, right? It's to focus on your marriage because if you love your spouse and your marriage is strong, then all those threats become a whole lot less appealing. And it's a similar idea here, that if you are walking with Christ, you're practicing the spiritual disciplines, you're obeying His Word, you're enjoying God's presence, then sin and the pull of the world is just not going to seem nearly as attractive. As if you're you know, walking around in the middle of a lion's den, as if there's nothing going on. And so, and so that's so basic, folks, but it's essential. The best offense is, or the best defense is a good offense. And then the other aspect of this verse that I really appreciate is how Peter teaches that spiritual growth begins with grace and with the knowledge of Christ. All right? And, and that's so basic again, but, but it's very important because it's easy for us to get caught up in the externals of godliness, right? Get caught up in our to-do lists. You know, I've got this ministry to do and that ministry to do and I've got to do this for my family and I've got to do this for God and I've got to obey this command and not do this thing over here. And, and Peter here tells us that, that, well, yes, all that's important. We have to remember that true godliness begins in my heart before the Lord. So first of all, he tells us here, grow in grace. Now, now that statement sounds great, right? I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't like that? Grow in grace. That's a great, great line. But, but you might wonder, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, well first of all, I think we need to understand that, that God's grace is always rooted in the gospel and in what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. So, so, so the only way I can access the grace of God is through Christ in the gospel. But, but beyond that, we might wonder, well, well what, how exactly do I do that? How do I grow in grace? And... Um, And so turn your Bibles, why don't you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, because I think this passage is very helpful for us in understanding exactly what it is that Paul means, or Peter means, by growing in grace, and how exactly we grow in grace. So he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So, so those verses say that, that in some sense, my life in Christ should parallel the same exact way that I came to Christ. So, so when I came to Christ and got saved, I came in humble dependence on his grace. I came as a sinner, desperate for mercy, and I bowed before him. And Paul says that I need to walk with that same sense of humble dependence every day of my life. Just as I needed grace to forgive me and secure for me eternal life, I need grace and strength to serve Christ day by day. You know, I love how verse 7 says, 
that we are to be rooted and built up in him. So, so you've got agriculture and, and architecture. So, so rooted in him, deep roots down in Christ, built on him on a strong foundation. So, so growing in grace means walking in the same humble dependence that we expressed in conversion. The same humility that said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is the attitude that I should carry with me every day of my life. But, but I also appreciate it. And now turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Because that talks about our stance. But, but what is it that we... I mean, how do we, how do we access grace? And, and what, what is it that we're looking for? Ephesians chapter 1, and in and, and this passage here, Paul is, is, is praying a prayer for the Ephesian church. And, and I think it's worth emphasizing, he's not praying this for new believers. He's praying for a mature group of saints that have been saved for years now. And he says in Ephesians 1.18, he prays that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So so God says that that I need an ever-expanding appreciation of all that I have in Christ. So yes, when you got saved, you, you comprehended the gospel. But, but he says, till the day you're in glory, you should have an ever-expanding appreciation of the grace that God gave you in Christ. And, and not just that, specifically, he says, that he goes on to say that, that we need to understand the working of his mighty power. So it's not just that God gives grace to save. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't need to grow in grace, Right? So, so every day of my life, I need to go deeper into the grace of God and, and comprehend the, the incredible might that is available in Jesus as I seek to please Him in this world. And, and folks, it is so important then that we recognize that spiritual growth is not merely a program of self-reformation. As you're, as you're struggling against sin, trying to grow in godliness, it's not just about you fixing this and fixing that and and reforming yourself. You know, and, and as well, don't get so locked in on what God has called you to do that you forget His process for getting there. No, spiritual growth is a divine process that requires abundant grace. And that grace comes to us in an ever-growing knowledge of all that I have in Christ. So grow in grace. I mean, study the gospel in Scripture. Meditate on the gospel every day of your life. You know, sing about the gospel. Worship God for the gospel. You know, and then as you battle sin, you've got some habit or some issue that you're, you're, you're trying to get through, you're pressing to get through. You know, don't just try and grit your teeth and bear it. Depend on the grace of God. Pray, seek His help. And when you fall, which you will, cry out to Him for forgiveness. And rest in his promise to forgive and to cleanse and to carry you forward. And then get up. Get up by the grace of God. Trust that his grace is sufficient to continue to change you and sustain you. And that you will make it to glory. 
So grow in grace. And then secondly, Peter tells us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. So, so he says, uh, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now, now the ideas here are, are closely related. I mean, grace and the knowledge of Christ are, 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 are pretty much intertwined. So, so if you look back at, at chapter 1, uh, it's interesting that Peter close, or begins and, and ends the letter with, with a very similar note. So 2 Peter 1 verse 2 says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So, so I love how verse 3 says that, that everything I need for life and godliness. You know, God packed me a suitcase of, of everything I need for life and godliness, and it's all summed up in the knowledge of God. When I know God, I have all that I need. So, so before I can rightly focus on what I must do, I must first focus on God. I need to come to the Scriptures, not fundamentally to find out what God expects me to do, but fundamentally to see Him, to know Him. And, and chapter 3, verse 18, specifically commands me to know Christ, the one who provided me with salvation. So how do you know Christ? Well, well, first of all, that begins with just knowing who He is. And, and the Gospels, of course, are a great resource to know who Jesus is. So, so read the Gospels and read them with the heart to, to understand who Jesus is, to see His compassion, see His humility, see His love. Read them to see His, his just and fierce hatred of sin. You know, read them to see his wisdom, his sacrifice, and so much else. When you read the Gospels, you want to read to see how Jesus lived and how he died. And most importantly, how he rose again. You know, that, that, you know I mean, Jesus displayed incredible power in all of his miracles. He raised people from the dead. He healed a lifelong illnesses. But the most glorious demonstration of his power is in the resurrection. When he rose from the dead and, and made it possible for us to draw near to him. So, so, so to know Christ is to see him as he is. He is the eternal, glorious, mighty son of God. He is the perfect man. And he is the compassionate savior. But, but, but there's more to it than, than just knowing these things about God. So, so, so turn back to Philippians chapter 3. I think this is the last verse I'll make you look up today. Philippians chapter 3, a familiar verse, Philippians 3 verse 10. So Paul says his goal is that I may know him. And then he just, it talks about three ways that I come to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So, so first of all, if I want to know Christ, I need to experience his resurrection power. I need to live in the strength that he provides. I walk in him. Secondly, he says there that if I want to know Christ, uh, then I need to share or fellowship in his sufferings. I need to suffer alongside him for the sake of the gospel. 
for the sake of godliness and for his glory. And as I do so, I, I come to understand Jesus in a whole different light. And then third, he says, being conformed to his death. That doesn't sound real good, does it? But, but I am to be conformed to his death, his, his submission to the Father's will to the point of, of absolute brokenness and willingness to do whatever the Father asks. So, so the knowledge of Christ is both knowing who Jesus is as a person, but also drawing near to him and reflecting the strength and character that he has provided in the gospel. And I love the fact that Peter ends his letter here because, you know, because his readers are facing a lot, right? I mean, they, they've got this, this heresy that's, that's blasted its way into this church. It's, it's tearing the church apart or churches apart. They're anxious about how to deal with this. They're, they're grieving over some of their friends and relatives, potentially, that have been lost to all this mess. And, and then they're facing just the normal challenges of life in a sin-cursed world. They're dealing with temptation to sin. They're dealing with the hostility of a, of a wicked culture. So many other things. And, and, and when you're in the midst of that, it's easy to get distracted, right? It's easy to focus on all that stuff. But Peter closes by reminding us. He closes the letter by reminding us to make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And that's so important because I can't effectively address all the other things unless I am walking in gospel grace and in sweet fellowship with Him. Now, it's very easy for us to forget that, right? I mean, ironically, I was writing this section of my sermon on Thursday and, and I was, you know, writing these sentences, and I, I thought, you know, I haven't spent any significant time in prayer today because I had too much to get done before my wife left for ladies' retreat. So I was like, i got to stop and pray because more than I've got to have a perfect sermon, I need the Lord. And we all do that, right? We get too busy to sit at the feet of Jesus so, so don't forget that you will never be healthy and effective out there in the world unless you are healthy in here with Christ. Don't let all the stuff of life distract you from your most needful duty. Now, don't ever think that you are too busy to draw near to the Lord and to fellowship with Him. No, you need to make time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to worship Him, to glorify Him for all that He is. So grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior until the day you see him face to face. So, so guard your heart, grow your heart. And then Peter closes the letter with a doxology, and I'd like to summarize it with a third challenge, glorify Christ. So, so Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, closes the book by saying, to him, speaking of Jesus in context, be the glory both now and forever, amen. Now, now, that's a statement that, that would be pretty easy for us just to kind of skip over, right? You know, kind of like when you pray, you say, Heavenly Father, at the beginning, you say, Amen, at the end, you just kind of do it out of habit, don't think much of it. And, and it might be true, all right? We don't know for sure. It might be true that, that this was a habitual conclusion that Peter puts at the end of the letter. And, and, and so we're tempted to just kind of gloss over doxologies and things like that. But, but, you know, even if it was habitual, you know, habitual things aren't necessarily insignificant, right? We, we establish habits because they matter. And remembering the glory of God is a really good habit to establish. 
Declaring the primacy of God's glory is an important discipline. So, so Peter closes the letter by declaring that his ultimate desire in writing this letter is not the good of his readers. I'm not fundamentally writing this for your sake. I am writing this for Christ's sake. So the ultimate aim of all that I do, whether, whether I'm writing an inspired epistle or I'm pulling weeds in my backyard, my ultimate goal in everything I do is God's glory. So, so as we close out this study, it's good for us to remember the centrality of God's glory to every, everything we've studied. We've talked about lots of applications. We've talked about lots of ideas and theology and all these different things. But we need to remember that the ultimate reason I want to know Christ, obey His will, walk in holiness, and even resist false doctrine and, 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 and all these other things, is I do it all for God's glory and honor. I live for His pleasure not for mine. And what's so wonderful about our Lord is that, that His pleasure and my good are not in conflict, right? Because I was made for God. So the only way I will ever find rest and contentment is to fulfill my purpose, which is His glory. That's the only place I will find rest. So, so I pursue His glory, and in doing so, I do what I was made to do. So, so Peter's doxology here not only serves as an important conclusion to the letter, it's an important reminder to us. I mean, my fundamental goal in everything I do this week is, is, is to glorify the Lord. I mean, you don't just worship Christ on Sunday. If you are a Christian, you are a reflection on Christ in everything you do. So, so reflect the glory of God. Show the world His likeness in all you do. Worship Christ in how you do your job this week, in how you love your family, how you serve your neighbor, how you maintain your home. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So, so with that, we've reached the end of 2 Peter. And this passage closes the letter, concludes the letter by, by giving us three simple challenges. Guard your heart, grow your heart, and glorify Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simple challenge of this passage. And Lord, I pray uh, for anyone here today that is beginning to drift, that Lord, your spirit would convict, challenge, and do the necessary work of refinement that is needed. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would watch our souls that we would lovingly watch each other's souls and that we would grow in grace every day. And so, Father, use us this week to glorify you. Help us, Lord, amidst all the busyness and the chaos of life to keep you at the center of all that we do and of every thought and affection and action and priority. Father, I pray that we would live to know you. And I pray that this week we would we would reflect your likeness and point others to the beauty of our Savior in, in every word and thought and deed, whether it be in some very public setting or in the quietness of our home with our family in our most um, basic moments. May Christ be seen in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.